0: Now, I wonder if like me, you have noticed how complex life can be, uh, particularly lately. I mean, it's always complex, isn't it? Navigating um, family and relationships and jobs and community and trying to make sense of politics and social movements and so on. Um, but during COVID, I think it has led a lot of people into asking big questions. For some who I've chatted to, COVID has been kind of a great catalyst for a real spiritual revival and renewal. It's deepened their relationship with Christ. Um, And then for others, I think it's fair to say it's led to questions, um, uh, even for some a deconstruction of around faith. And of course, both can be used, I think, by God to hopefully bring us back to the central things of the Christian faith. That should be the goal of revival as we come back to Jesus. And hopefully the goal of a deconstruction is ending up coming back to Jesus and starting with the simple things. But I really do feel that it is essential that yours is not a borrowed faith from friends or family or so shallow that under any kind of testing, it can fall apart. Right, We want to be captivated by Jesus, his life and his message, uh, the meaning of what he has accomplished. And my hope is that all of us would be able to articulate what it is we believe and why it takes on such a central focus for our lives. Uh, We need a robust, thoughtful footing to our faith that underpins our beliefs, our worldviews, our values and our praxis, right? Like our faith... And the central things we believe should be deeply shaping us. There's this great verse in Hebrews 6.19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So good. Isn't that a good verse? Yeah. Uh, I love that. Hope as an anchor that is firm and secure. That is a good goal for us during lockdown. Uh, as Greg Beach keeps saying to me, don't waste the lockdown. Um, Dig in, press in, use lockdown as an opportunity to deepen your hope in God and let it be firm and secure in testing times. See, we want our hope in Christ to be something that stops us from being blown about by all kinds of things that would try and tear us away from our faith. Hope in Christ should be an anchor from which we ask the big questions. But also from which we anchor and engage our faith so that that which is most eternal and most important is firm and secure in our lives. Not sure if you saw the boat that got washed up on Manly Harbour Beach this week during the storm. I think it might have been Ryan Emmers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But clearly its anchor did not hold in the midst of those wind and waves that blew up at the start of the week. Uh, Its anchor gave way and the boat ended up on the beach next to Manly Wharf and the wind and the waves kept banging it up against that sandstone wall and you could see the boat falling apart. Now, of course, there were other boats whose anchors obviously did hold. And it's interesting to me that during good times when there's not much headwind, it's easy for all anchors to do their jobs, right? But when it gets rough, that's when our anchors get tested. And so it is, I think, with faith in Jesus Christ. When we can all meet together, maybe there's not too many challenges going on in our lives. It's easy to have a little bit of faith and a little anchor for the things to be seemingly all fine. But when we maybe get isolated, maybe something like a pandemic raises bigger questions around God, his reality, his power in the midst of trouble. That is when we need a solid anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Very good. So once again, I think that comes by being captivated by Jesus, right? Lots of questions, lots of things that we can wrestle with, but we want to remain captivated by Jesus and having the kind of thoughtful, robust faith that secures us in Christ. So that was the world's longest introduction. I want to unpack a central verse that for me is one of the anchors of my faith. This is one of the hot, strong, anchor points that keeps me and sustains me. And it's a verse in Mark's account of Jesus' life that sets up the story and meaning and mission of the Gospels. For me, it's an anchor verse of what exactly I can put my hope in. It speaks to what is firm and secure about trusting in Jesus. So Mark 1, to 15. It says, After John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want to unpack each couple of words there of that verse in Mark 1:14-15. Firstly, it says Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Now the Greek word for good news, which we also translate as gospel, is evangelion. And it's from which we get the word evangelist, which means a bringer of good news. In the ancient world, when the emperor died in Rome, he would be replaced with a new leader. It was often a bloody power struggle between a couple of families. But then eventually when one sat on the throne word would be sent for through the empire that a new emperor a new lord was on the throne and they would call that moment as messengers literally took this news of a new lord a new emperor to the far-flung regions of the empire they would call that the spreading of the evangelion the spreading of the good news Now, no one was allowed to be called Lord except Caesar, except the emperor. So can you imagine how subversive it is when Jesus begins to proclaim that the evangelion of God has occurred? From this backwater town out of Galilee in a far flung corner of the Roman Empire, Jesus makes a claim for the throne. He says, the good news is. From God, that a new kingdom is being established, that a new Lord will begin to rule. It's audacious. It's audacious, bold stuff. Secondly, he says that the time has come. Now, this kind of suggests, doesn't it, that Jesus is coming into an old story that has been waiting to be fulfilled. Now, you know this story if you grew up in Sunday school. Um, Abraham promised that God would give him a family, the family of God would be blessed by him, it would be a blessing to all nations, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You know, if Genesis tells us the story of creation and fall, what we learn is that God is going to use a people to reverse this. And here's where it gets interesting. They weren't to be like other nations. They were to be set apart many different ways. They were meant to be holy. They were meant to be compassionate to refugees. Uh, They were meant to treat people with respect and dignity. They were meant to worship in a certain way. But one of the defining characteristics of that is that the people of God weren't to have a king. Because God was their king who ruled for them, who cared for them and who guided them. God was their Lord alone, right? He was the one who was to sit on the throne over this nation. He was their lawgiver. He was their leader. He was their protector. He was their deliverer. Now, here's the crazy thing. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 8. The family of God demands to have a king like all other nations. Anyhow. So, post the Exodus from Egypt... And then the giving of the promised land, the family of God ask God to be ruled over by a king. And God says, "Okay, but this will come at a great cost." He says, "You will cry out to me after you've appointed a king, but I won't answer." Right? Because in one sense it's God's people dethroning God and saying we want to be ruled like all the other nations. Now, despite this, God gives them what they ask for. First, God gives them King Saul, then David, then Solomon. And basically, it's this downward spiral of good kings and bad kings until they all get defeated and dragged off back into captivity, just like they had been in Egypt. So it looks absolutely hopeless. How would God set the world right and rule again when his people can't even do what is right and they can't be ruled by one of their own? And it's while they're in captivity that the great prophets then begin to emerge and warns them of why they're no longer in the favour of God. And this theme emerges of a time when God will come and God will act and God will intervene. God will come into history and he will begin to make things right again. And they would read the prophets like Isaiah, where God promised a son who would be called what? Wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And it says there will be no end to his government and peace. So God promises that a, 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 a son who would be God, who would be a prince, who would have a government that won't end, will emerge in history. And this new messianic figure who would establish a new kingdom, that's what government is about, kingdom is government, And for 700 years they wait in exile, unfulfilled. So in the arrival of Jesus, he says, The time has come. The time has come. The time has come. The time has come. come. In this particular moment in time, in this particular place, through a particular person, the time for God to act has come. Now remember the family of God who were promised to be a blessed blessing, numerous, and then they're dragged off into captivity and then into Babylon and then over time subjected to Roman rule. And they have these big God will come and set things right passages that gives them hope. One of them is Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, yeah. freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favor, favourable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. So they're all waiting. They're waiting, 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 waiting. They're waiting for this day of salvation, but also judgment to come. And they thought, that it would all come at once. God would arrive as king. He would destroy the nasty Romans. He would destroy any rebellious people within their midst. And he would save the faithful family of God. And then here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. One day in the synagogue, a Galilean carpenter opens the scroll of Isaiah 61. And he reads this, Luke chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. (laughs) Ha ha! Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he stops. He rolls up the scroll, passes it back and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, do you see what just happened? Jesus reads Isaiah 61, but he leaves off the announcement of the day of vengeance of our God. (laughs) That's no accident. The time has come. The promise is being fulfilled in your hearing. But Jesus is saying, I am splitting the day of salvation and judgment in two. And that's not what the people of God were expecting. But Jesus is announcing that a period of grace is moving into the world, in his ministry, in his life, for all who would believe in him before a day of final judgment will eventually unfold. And so we live in a time when God as king, through his son, would bring good news to the poor. Freedom for captives sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. So, says Jesus, the time has come. (laughs) The time has come. A time of grace and liberty through Jesus. Right, thirdly in Mark, Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Now the big themes of the kingdom that we see break in as the time arrives are the ones that are promised all through the Old Testament story. It's all the things that you and I would expect if a righteous ruler or God was to establish his his throne, his kingdom upon earth. Right? What we see in Jesus is what we would expect of a king who can make things right again. So there's a defeat of evil. There's healing of the sick. There's good news, particularly for the poor and the broken. There's an ethic of mercy and radical forgiveness and love for your enemy. There's the forgiveness of sins. And it all comes together at once in the arrival of King Jesus. The time has come. The good news, the kingdom of God has come near. There's this interesting scene in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus has just raised a dead man back to life. And it says this, Luke 7, verse 18. John, John the Baptist, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? (laughs) That's great, isn't it? Verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So in other words, Jesus says, yes, you better believe it. It's happening. It's happening. The long-awaited kingdom of God has arrived. Because the king is here, the kingdom has arrived. And the kingdom is breaking into whoever it comes in contact with. And that's what it means for the kingdom to come near. The rule, the reign of God in a place should do something. It should look like something. It should change things. It should change people. It should change situations. Yeah, that's a good word. Mm. And so it's a powerful message, and in us, it demands a response. So finally, Jesus says, Mark 1, 14 to 16, Repent and believe the good news. That's what, that's what he calls us to do as this kingdom manifests right in front of us. What does it mean to repent? The Greek word for repent is metanoia, which means a transformative change of heart or change of mind. You see, in light of King Jesus, we decide to stop doing the things that don't align with being a part of Jesus's kingdom. And we start doing the things that would align if he were to reign in our lives. In his kingdom, people are not oppressed. And so repentance looks like turning from oppressing people and loving them instead. In his kingdom, neighbours are loved. So we turn from harming people and we begin to serve and love like Jesus did. In his kingdom, truth and grace matter. So we turn from lies and self-deception and harsh judgments and we embrace the ethics of the kingdom. Do you see what I mean, right? Repent, right? What a beautiful offer from King Jesus. He's basically saying, come and be a citizen. Turn from being a citizen of darkness and any other kingdom in this world and now come and live as a citizen of my kingdom. And there's this generosity in his kingdom. So we, we turn from, 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 from what's small and diminishing and broken and evil. And we embrace what's expansive and life-giving and beautiful and full of truth and justice. You see, is, is it not true that we live in this highly individualistic world of competing kingdoms? And we're all trying to get our will done on earth. That's you know, the opposite to the Lord's Prayer. You know, may, may my will be done, may my will be done. But our wills are often coercive and destructive. You know, and, and I think of my story, certainly it's ongoing, but there's nothing I've ever had to repent of that's not destructive. All of us have to come to this conclusion and conviction. I want to turn from just doing my own will the whole time and embrace the will of King Jesus. Not just because I'm being forced to do it. No, by no means. But because we get captivated by a beautiful whole new way of living. You know, I've often said the worst place to be is a follower of Jesus with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. That's why Romans 2.4, it says it is God's kindness that leads to repentance. It is God's sweet mercy that He calls us from one way of life to another. Yeah. I remember in the early 20s being in London in this church service, and coming just—it was a song that played, and the Holy Spirit was just doing something in my life, and I just came under this deep conviction of the sinfulness in my own life. And I remember as the spirit of God filled me, I alternated this really weird weeping and then laughing and then weeping and then laughing. And it kind of went on. Uh, Bless the worship leader. I think everyone else was out getting biscuits and tea. And I was just in the front row, just bawling my eyes out and then laughing hysterically and then bawling my eyes. And he just kept playing, I think, just for me. But God was doing something. Weeping over the state of my life but being filled with the joy of forgiveness and receiving his kingdom. So Jesus says the time has come, repent and get on with the kingdom and follow the king. Finally today, linked to the time having come, the kingdom having appeared in the life of Christ, the announcement of good news and our repentance, Jesus says, believe the good news. Believe the good news. That is the entry point. That is the entry point into the kingdom. Come and receive it and receive it through believing. Now, is more going to be required of citizens of heaven? It would be weird to become a citizen of heaven and then go on living like a citizen of hell. It would be weird not to conform our hearts and will to the kingdom after gaining entry and his spirit coming alive in us to help us. Because citizens of the kingdom, will they not begin to live and act and look like The king whom they follow you don't join the local soccer club then demand we play rugby (laughs) right you don't join the liberal party and then force everyone to join a union (laughs) right there's a way you're gonna live with what you've come into there will be expectations of how to follow King Jesus but hear this but hear this It always starts with good news to the poor. Great news for the prodigals who've wandered off. To the humble and to the weak. Jesus says, believe the good news, receive the kingdom of God. That's why the poor in spirit are blessed, because theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who realise they need a king, who realise their own spiritual poverty, and have a change of heart and mind and embrace the king. So do you recognize that the time has come? (laughs) Do you welcome the good news of the kingdom? Are you ready to call Jesus Lord and repent of your sins? So next week I'm going to do something on the here and there, now and then, present and yet future reality of the kingdom. Right? Because one of the things we, we, we wrestle with is if the kingdom has come and it's come in power, you know, why, why do we still not see it all the time? Why do faithful, prayerful people get sick? Why do people die? Why is there such injustice? If God's so powerful, why then still the absence of so much of his kingdom in this world? Right, they're good questions. We want to address that next week. But where do we see the kingdom breaking in too in marvellous, transformative ways? Right, where do we see the heavening of earth occurring around us? And what's our role in that story? But for this week, I just want us to know King Jesus. The Evangelion of good news is going forth to all the earth, even to Sydney, Australia in lockdown. There is a new king on the throne, a foot-washing, compassionate, truth-telling king who beckons us to come and to humbly receive citizenship to his kingdom. That we might know the nature of this kingdom. The good news for us who believe. It is an anchor of hope for my soul. Firm and secure to the end. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Amen.